Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Everyone, so it gets out a second time there. Uh, I want to welcome you guys to Foothills Christian Church. I want to welcome all of you at church at home with us. You may not be aware, but about 70% of our church does church at home. So about 30 to 35% are on campus. 65 to 70% are at home. And so we're kind of church everywhere, you know? So as a pastor, you know, your dream is kind of like, we'll just infect every corner of the Treasure Valley and the globe with the church. So it's kind of exciting that way. But we're here because we are going to be talking about how your mission in life is essential. And that's what our subject is today. We're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul talks about his own mission in life and how it impacts people. Now, one of the things about our church is we want to be able to help you ask questions and get answers to the most important questions of life, because we believe now more than ever, fluff is not enough. And so often I love to uh, uh, show you funny, you know, memes on the internet to get you laughing. I like telling jokes and stuff. But every once in a while, you need, you know, someone with a laser to show up and kind of cut through the stuff. That's what I'm going to be doing today. Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, you might say, I'm going to be a Jedi with a lightsaber today. We're going to cut all the fluff out. You might say that I'm a little bit of a hammer today. And the reason why is because we have to address some things that are going on in our world right now. And we've got to know why they're happening, but most importantly, why what Paul wrote about knowing your mission in life is the answer to what's really going on. It's a tall task, but I think we can do it. Number one, this pandemic has shown us that things are not nearly as good as we thought they were. One out of four millennials have thought about ending their life in the last six months. That's 25% of the second largest demographic in the United States of America. That is a serious problem. Opioids have gone through the roof, people abusing them and using them. In Cleveland alone, deaths from opioid abuse have increased almost 1,000%. Economic pain is just really starting to take root in people's lives because all of those things that happened in Congress uh, have run out the extension of the unemployment benefits, that COVID relief check and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people gave uh, to our church's COVID relief fund. And now our fund is paying for people's rent, for their prescriptions. We're paying uh, uh, for their mortgages and all these things so they don't lose their homes. So the economic pain is really just starting to heat up. Also, Everybody agrees that children are really missing out educationally. Regardless of whether you feel about how it should happen, all we know is we're unable to do it in the most effective and efficient way. And this is really hitting kids and families extremely difficult. In our society, we have elevated science to a position it wasn't meant to be in. I want to trust the scientists, right? I want to trust them. 
But the bottom line is, is that all of the messages that be coming out of the scientific community right now are in conflict. And so it's one thing to say, oh, we have these really smart scientists saying this, but what happens when you have different scientists saying different things and they contradict one another? All that tells me is that it's really tough to know who to trust in that regard. Now, in the Bible, Paul talks about how on occasion, boasting, it's not profitable, meaning it's not great, but you have to do it every once in a while. And your pastor shouldn't do I told you so's very often because it's not profitable, but on rare occasions, he kind of has to point it out. And that is a couple of years ago, I did a series called Faith and Science, Do They Contradict One Another? And in that series, we studied how science is actually an outflow of Christian values, principles, and teaching. And what has happened is our science has been taken over by the religion of atheism, and that's called scientism. And what they try to do is create a false comparison by saying that faith is irrational and science is rational. So by making this false comparison, what ends up happening is science then becomes more of a religion than just plain science. And so today, what we're seeing when we need it the most is this conflict of scientism has risen to the top and it's now become political, which it was never meant to be. So there's my I told you so. I apologize. Thank you for tolerating me. Now, I, I would have to say all of these things that I just talked about, and we could talk about a whole lot more in our political environment, in our university environment, and on and on and on. The bottom line is, is that we are probably in the most divisive and the most isolated and the most difficult time in our nation's history. And everything bad that's going on right now has a cause. And that cause wait for it, it's going to blow you away. That cause is postmodernism. People are like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me tell you something. Postmodernism is a philosophy that took root in our universities in the 50s and 60s, and it has now become the predominant philosophy in all of our media, all of our journalism, our politics, and our universities. And so over the last 50 years, we have been entrenched in our thinking in a postmodern philosophy. And here's what's really interesting is postmodernism is not about what you think. It's not the data that you have. Postmodernism is the way in which you think and the way in which you think about it. Now, if I may be so bold, I'd like to point out that postmodernism is something that creates a lot of division and prejudice. And that's what's really interesting in our nation that has worked so hard to overcome division and prejudice and just say, hey, let's treat everybody equal, fair deal for everybody. Guess what? We now seem to be more prejudiced and more divisive in our society uh, than we were just 20 years ago. Why is that? Well, it's because of the way in which people are thinking on a postmodern philosophical construct. Postmodernism eliminates equality. Postmodernism uh, eliminates equal justice for 
all. Postmodernism eliminates tolerance for opposing viewpoints. Uh, Postmodernism eliminates the ability to love and be nice towards people who are different than you and may even have a different opinion or a different thought on something than you. And here is why. Because at its core, postmodernism is a way of thinking. And the way you think is this way. My truth is more important than anybody else's truth. You see, postmodernism teaches a very simple premise, and that is is that there is no objective truth. There's no ultimate truth. There's only your truth or your story or your narrative. Consequently, when everybody feels like their story or their narrative is the most important thing, what happens is you elevate yourself to be the center of your universe. Try being married to somebody like that. Try working for somebody like that. Try being a part of a school or university where the professors and teachers are like that. What happens is postmodernism, in its way it trains people to think, is that since you're the center of the universe, your truth is most important. And here's what it does. It steals something from you. And you know what it steals from you? It steals your capacity to find authentic meaning and purpose. This is why things are so crazy right now and people are doing such wild things out there. They're pushing agendas and ideologies so voriciously. Can you say that word really fast? That's a hard word to say, voriciously. It comes out, it doesn't really roll off the tongue. So passionate about their positions. Why is that? Why is that? Because people are seeking meaning. They need a purpose. And they believe that this this, uh, material idea or thing or philosophy is going to give it to him. And because of that, our world has become so divisive and off track. Now, people are desperate for meaning because our lives are meant to matter. They're meant for meaning. Look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. We studied this on the second week of essential. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you are God's handiwork. Your life is meant to matter. You were created in Christ Jesus. Now you're not created all on your own to just go off and do your own thing. But when you come to know Jesus, you, you now have a purpose. God prepared in advance for this to happen. Now, what's really important about this, in my opinion, is that your mission in life then, where you get meaning from life, is about discovering your purpose and what God wants to do through you. This is why your mission in life is one of the most essential things about your life. The second thing is that our soul really longs for this. Not only were we created for it, but our souls are thirsty for it. There was a young man by the name of Victor. He was a psychiatrist. He was highly trained, very, very intelligent, excellent writer. He was newly married and he had just started his practice. Unfortunately, he lived in Germany in the 1940s and he was Jewish. 
He was arrested by the Nazis and he was thrown into a concentration camp. His wife was separated from him and thrown into a concentration camp. He survived, she did not. When he got out, he looked at all of his training prior to going in and realized that being taught in the Freudian school of psychology and psychiatry is false. And he learned something new. And you know what he learned? In that concentration camp, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he said, this thing is what told me, revealed to me why the Nazis could do what they did, why, how people survived the horrible things that were done to them, what happened as they processed through it after they got out. And look at what he wrote in his book. He said, man's search for meaning is the primary motivation in his life. This is what drives us more than anything else. Our need to matter, our life to have some form of meaning. He says, it is not a secondary rationalization. And this is what psychology had adopted, all right, from Darwinian evolution. He said, it is not a secondary rationalization of instinctual drives, meaning we're really just driven by instinct. And so our brains create meaning out of nothing because it's a nice illusion. He said, that's false. It's actually inverted. We need meaning and we're driven for it. Uh, Dr. Hugh Moorhead wrote a book called, and I have a picture of it for you right here, called The Meaning of Life according to our century's greatest writers and thinkers. He wrote this in 1988. And what he did is he sent a letter out to 250 of the greatest thinkers, philosophers, and writers in the United States. And he said, what is the meaning of life? He took all of their answers and he published it in this book. You know what they said? Most of them said, we don't know. A bunch of others said, honestly, we just made one up. The last category was this. Once you figure it out, we'd love to hear from you. So would you send us your data? What that tells me is that we are driven for meaning. We are thirsting for meaning, but very few people have any idea on how to find it. This is why I often say that what you believe is one of the most important things about you. Because what you believe not only motivates you, what you believe is directly linked to what you think brings your life meaning and purpose. And we live in a postmodern world that says you can't find meaning and purpose anymore. All you have to do is elevate your own truth above everyone else's. The proverb says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. I'd like to personalize it for you. When your life has no vision, when your life has no direction, when your life has no mission, when it has no meaning, it perishes. So you need a life infused with meaning. And that's exactly what Paul says is available for all of you who know Jesus Christ and are in his kingdom. 
And here's where we really jump in to studying chapter three. It begins in verse 16. What we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of start at the end and we're gonna work backwards because I want you to know what Paul is saying is the ultimate goal and then we're gonna figure out how to get there. Verse 16 says this, and I want you to hear these words in a sense from a world in which we live that is so upside down, divided and lost right now, okay? Notice what he says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now notice what he's saying. He's saying, I pray out of glorious riches that your inner spirit would be strengthened. Man, do we need strength right now based on what's going on in our world? Absolutely. He says, it happens through the spirit inside of us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. He goes on to say, I pray that you being rooted and established in what? Love. That you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. Now notice what he's saying. He's saying, look, you know what your thirst, your, 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 your soul thirsts? for meaning. It's about love. It's about deepest part of you needs to have a sense that your life matters and that you matter to others. That's called being loved and loving others. And he says, I want you to be rooted and established in that love. And that's where this power of God comes from. His love inside of you is explodes out. And he goes, I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to know this love because it surpasses knowledge. You know, as he says, it's more than just knowledge. It's every area of your life. He goes, I want you to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then the last two verses are some of the most famous verses in the New Testament. Listen to what he says. Because now we've been filled with the love of God. We know that we matter to God. We find meaning and purpose in our love for God and his love for us. And guess what happens? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So he can do more than you can measure and he can do more than you can imagine. How many of you remember when Star Wars first came out in 1977, the first one? Remember that? Yeah, well, I went to see it. And I don't know if you remember the scene where Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, they're dressed up as uh, stormtroopers, you know, and they're, gonna, they're on the Death Star and they're going to go, they're going to go rescue Princess Leia. And Luke Skywalker says, hey, you know, we got to go rescue her. And he goes, I'm not taking that risk. Hansel says, I'm not going to do it. And then he leans over and goes, she's rich. And he goes, so? And he goes, there'll be a massive reward. And then he goes, how much? And Luke Skywalker says, more than you can imagine. And then what does Han Solo say? I can imagine an awful lot. Most of us can imagine an awful lot, can't we? That doesn't come close to what God can do in us. That is, doesn't even come close to what God will do through us because we can't measure it or even imagine it. According, where does this come from? To his power, his power that is at work within us. And then he goes on to say, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ. 
Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. So where does this power come from? Where does this confidence and courage come from? Where do we find this meaning and purpose? It's when we discover our mission in life. How do you do that? Paul gives us the answer in verses 1 through 15. Here's the first thing that happens in verses 1 through 6. He says, this is how you discover your mission in life. This is how you discover where all that power begins. Let's read verses 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So this is where you start to discover God's mission for your life. Paul said, God's grace was given to me for a purpose. That is the mystery made known to me, my revelation, as I have already written briefly. He goes on in verse four, in reading this, then you will be able to understand See, discovery is about understanding, isn't it? I'm going to understand what happened to Paul. My insight into the mystery of Christ. Oh, so Jesus did something in Paul. It gave him understanding. And now when we read it, we can figure it out, which was not made known to the people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. He finishes in verse six saying this, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. So Paul says back in chapter 2, in the second week of essential, we discovered how our faith is essential because it opens up the door to God's work of grace in our hearts. And when God's work of grace is in our hearts, that destroys the enmity between us and every other ethnic group. So we studied that, and now notice what he's saying. This is my mission, because it happened to me. So how do you discover your mission in life? Well, most people say, God, what is my mission in life? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to marry that person? Do you want me to have that job? Do you want me to be that successful? Do you want me to live in this place? We look to the forward and we try to get an idea of what it might look like. What Paul is saying is if you really want to understand and discover your mission in life, you must look backward at what Jesus Christ has done in you to save you. When you look and see how did Jesus change me? How did he save me? that is often where you begin to discover what he wants to do through you. Because here's a truth I want you to know, and you need to understand this. Your mission in life is not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. And if you think it's about you, you are falling into a postmodern mindset. You're saying, I'm the center of the universe, and I need to focus on what's going to make my life great. But if you really want to discover meaning, deep meaning, and experience the love of God like you've never experienced before, and the power of God in your life, you have to come to the point that my future is not about me, it's about what God wants to do through me. Now, when I was uh, younger in high school, I ran around in a group with four other guys, and we got into all kinds of trouble. And one of the guys in there, his name was Kerry, and uh, Kerry 
was just a, an incredible guy. He was a ton of fun. He, uh, super great personality. He was a pole vaulter, you know, so he's in great shape. He was a good looking guy. And he also kept driving some of the fastest cars you could imagine. His dad owned, uh, one of those, uh, you know, uh, uh, state farm offices or whatever, where he insured cars. And so whenever his dad would go out and total cars, if it was a supercar or a muscle car, he would buy it and fix it and let his boys drive it. So Kerry drove a Charger for a while, you know. He had a bunch of hot cars and he was always getting tickets because Kerry cared about two things, going fast and girls. That was his life right there. And then he got a scholarship to go uh, uh, do track pole vaulting at uh, New Mexico, Eastern New Mexico State University. And Eastern New Mexico is out in the middle of nowhere because we grew up in Albuquerque. And so what happened is uh, while he was there, he was driving home one time going way, way too fast and he got in a massive wreck and he broke his pelvis, shattered his pelvis and his, his femur. And I mean, he was in a mess. And they said, well, we don't know if you're ever going to be able to walk again normally. So they screwed him back together. He started to heal up. And what happened is uh, they, go, they said, hey, there's kind of this new thing, you know, I mean, there's been some physical therapy, but there's some new physical therapy techniques. So we're going to send you to physical therapy. So he met this guy who was his PT. And this guy was an amazing guy. This guy would not let him give up. This guy pushed him, pulled him, you know, yelled at him, prayed with him, pulled him, encouraged him, just wouldn't, wouldn't let him not get back. And a miracle happened. He got back to 100%. He got back to 100%. And after that, you know what Kerry did? Is he re-enrolled back in school. He couldn't be on the track team anymore. He re-enrolled in school and he changed his major. Guess what his major was after that? Physical therapy. He found the calling of his life. Isn't that interesting that sometimes in the worst moments of our lives, it's in the worst suffering of our lives that sometimes we find the deepest calling for our lives. Why is that? Because it's exactly what Paul is talking about. He discovered his mission in life by looking back when Jesus saved him. And that was the worst moment. It was a crisis in his life. And Jesus came in, totally changed his life, and he realized God wants to do something through me. Just like he saved me, now he wants to move through me to impact others. And that, my friend, is how you begin to discover your mission in life. The second thing is now, how do you practice it? Once you kind of sort of get an idea and you're going in a direction, how do you start practicing this mission in life so that you discover true, authentic meaning? Well, this is how you practice it. Let's read verses 10 through 13. Now, notice what he says. Now, God's intent, okay, so this is how God does it. It's his intent was that now through the church, this is very important, whether you're doing church at home right now, you're listening to this later, or you're right here on campus. He's saying that God's plan, his intent, is that through the church, something happens. What happens? The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to everybody in heaven and here on earth, according to his eternal purpose 
that he accomplished with Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's eternal purpose, if you remember the very first week of essential when we said, what, what, why are you essential? Because you're the center of God's cosmic plan. What was God's cosmic plan? Well, that we could find redemption in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with what? Freedom and confidence. Why is our world so divided? Why is our world so angry? Why is our world so bitter right now? Why are people so intolerant and fearful? Because no one is feeling secure. No one is feeling confident and nobody is living and walking in freedom right now. And Paul says, it's through Jesus Christ and faith in him, we can approach God with absolute freedom and absolute confidence. Let me say this. You cannot discover your mission in life apart from the church. Because all of this happens through the church. Last week, Pastor Harv talked about just enough Jesus is not enough to help you. It just makes you miserable pretty much. And he was right on. Just enough Jesus will not allow you to find meaning and purpose in life. What you need to do is you need to discover your mission in life in the church. Now, the word church is tough to really use today because the word church actually comes from a very old German word that was bled over into Old English. And in German, basically what it meant was it was the place where the people of God would gather. And so what happened is they took that word, it became an English word, and now that word means a building, right? So if you're young and uh, you fall in love, and you guys decide to uh, get married, usually the first question is, oh, are you going to get married in a church, right? Or are you going to get married outside? So see, everybody thinks of a church as what? It's a building. But if you were to say that in the first century to followers of Christ, you know what you'd say? I'd like to get married in a church. And they go, you mean you want to get married in a crowd of people with all these people standing around you? Is that how you want to do it? See, in their mind, a church was not a, a thing, an organization, a bureaucracy. It wasn't a business or a building. It was simply people bound together. Consequently, a church could be two people or it could be 2,000 people. What's key is they're bound together by a common faith in Jesus. And it's in those relationships, it's in those relationships where you can practice your mission in life. That's where you discover it. So once you begin to discover, once you begin to practice, then you can really start living it. How do you really start living it? Look at verses 14 and 15. Here is what it says. This is, so the, the number three is, how do you start living it? So if you're filling in the blanks on the, on the notes, that's what it says. Verse 14 says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What does he mean by that? Well, in this culture, and when this was written, and it was like this for a very, very long time, whenever you knelt before someone, you knelt before a master, a teacher, a lord, a king, an emperor, what were you doing? 
you were pledging your undivided loyalty and um, devotion to that person, okay? So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I will bend my knee. I will kneel before God. You see, meaning in my life comes from God. Mission in my life comes from God. What I'm supposed to do in this world is discovering what Jesus wants to do through me. This is what being saved and redeemed means. Now, what's fascinating about this is that no one can demand your devotion. No one can coerce your commitment. No one can force you to be devoted. It is something you choose and you alone can give. Paul is saying, I willingly, intentionally, consciously, with my whole heart, I'm bending my knee to Jesus Christ and to him alone. That, my friends, may sound weird, but that's how you live out your mission in life. You stop saying, hey, this is what I want to do. God, how do you feel about it? And you start thinking, God, here's what's going on in my daily life. Here's what's happening in my world. How can you move through me to achieve your will? So I have a final challenge for you. It has two parts. And here's the first one. The first part is if you want to discover your mission in life, this is absolutely shameless. Please give me a little grace. But if you want to discover your mission in life, listen to the salty pastor. That is my podcast that I put out twice a week. Okay. Now I don't feel too bad about this because it's not for sale. I give it away for free. But every Tuesday, we talk about the passage of Scripture. So this last Tuesday, we went through these 21 verses in depth. And then on every Thursday, I talk about how what Paul talked about in these verses impacts our world today. I talked about postmodernism and its influence on us. I talked in depth of what's going on in our culture. And so go to wherever you can get a podcast. You go to Spotify. You can go to uh, your iTunes account, you can go at, uh, through Android. If you have an Android, use uh, Spotify, and you can subscribe to the Salty Pastor. And if you have an iPhone, give it a five-star rating because that makes it go up in the search results, okay? I know that's totally shameless. But I want you, uh, in all seriousness, I want you to do that, and here's why, is because we have to be the people of God, and we have to know what's going on. And it's really hard to dig deep in 25 minutes to 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. And so I really would like you to start availing yourself of that. The second thing is this, is I would like you to practice the principle of the five. When this whole thing started early, early on, what we did is we took something we were doing in our men's ministry. And in our men's ministry, all the leadership uh, has a list of five guys. They, they took out a, a, a card and they wrote the names of five guys on it. And they said, these five guys, we're going to disciple. We're going to you know, pray for them, encourage them. We're going to reach out. We'll text them. We'll go fishing with them or hunting or see a game or do what a golf or whatever. I, we're just going to have five guys. Can't save the whole world, but I can impact the lives of five guys, right? For Christ. Well, when this all started, we took that principle and I gave it to the whole church. And I asked everybody, find five people that you can reach out to every week. Give them a call, send them a text, 
you know, re, uh, uh, DM on, on Facebook or something of that nature so that you can check up on them, you can see how they're doing, see if there are any needs. If they need groceries, let us know, we'll deliver groceries. If they need to see a doctor, let us know, we'll help, let them know where to get tested for COVID or go see a doctor. If they need whatever, they, they need clothes, they need friends, they need people praying for them, whatever they need, let us know. So we asked the whole church to do that. And this is why our church throughout COVID has grown instead of shrank. It's absolutely amazing to see our church growing. Right now, we have over 70 small groups of people meeting every single week. That's over 700 adults. We have discipleship groups happening in our high school ministry and our middle school ministry. It's unbelievable what God is doing. And if you're I just want to challenge you to discover your mission, your purpose in life by listening to the Salty Pastor and finding five people that you can share the love of Christ with. Maybe it's cooking them food, it's reaching out saying, hey, maybe it's encouraging them, and whatever it is, however God leads you, be a person of influence in their life. I want to say thank you for being a part of Essential. We got a brand new series coming up called Hashtag Blessed. And I'm going to be sending out an email to all of you because I really need you to help me write those messages. We're going to study the book of Philippians. Now let's let Steve take us home. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org. 